It's the Brian and Matt Show. Matt's got a mullet. Brian's got a big-ass beard. You can pull it. It's the Brian and Matt Show. With all things insurance and random tomfoolery. The Brian and Matt Show. Welcome to this edition of the Brian and Matt Show, formerly known as the uh, Matt and Brian Show, but it kind of made the executive decision to change that, didn't I? Yeah, somebody decided to <laughs> pull his daddy card out and say, "No, we're changing it." <laughs> well, today it's the Brian Charles McDade and Matt Show. Yeah, so I'm always like, that? I'm always the afterthought. I'm like the last, the third, the third rung. It's just alphabetical order. There's nothing you can do about what it. What about it's okay? Right. What about the Three Stooges? I'm I'm Mo, the guy that always got hit, the kind of dumb one with the bald head. Was that That's Mo? You. That's you. I wouldn't go that far. Yeah, you know. it's okay. I accept it. We did have a name change before we even rolled the podcast out, but I'm still harping on it, and we are on like episode six or seven at this point, but formerly known as the Matt and Brian Show, now known as the Brian and Matt Show. Welcome to this edition of uh, Insurance podcast where we go over systems tools processes and all things insurance tom Foolery related we have with us today mr charles mcdade from formerly mcdade insurance broker mib group changed it recently yeah that's a thing had a little that's bit a of thing. an issue are with we, the MIB are we allowed group. to are we allowed to talk about that or do can't we can't talk about it out? still uh so we we're gonna completely not we're gonna bleep that shit out we're gonna bleep that out we're here today joined with mr charles mcdade Dade of the Charles McDade Insurance Group, is that correct? Yeah, McDade Insurance Brokerage Group, my man. McDade Insurance Brokerage Group. We are joined with Charles. Uh, we've known him for what, a year and a half now, two years? Something yeah. like that. Feels longer, you yeah. know, like marriage. Yeah, kind of like that, where it feels like, man, it's only been that long, but it's actually really been that long it's felt like way every day longer. with Matt Hahn feels like an eternity. Yeah, it's okay. We'll get over it. We'll if I die it. and I see your face, I know I'm in purgatory. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good place to be. So on this edition of the podcast, we're going to go over some things with Charles um, and his agency specifically, go over some processes and things that he's done really well in his agency. Um, Charles, you've been, uh, your brokerage has been open for how many years now? Uh, so th- we're on our second full year. So basically we started in uh, June first of 2020 because uh it was a great idea yeah great idea seems like nothing a good idea. happened seems like a good idea to start in 2020 <laughs> um so charles you came previously from the big blue correct yeah liberty mutual uh rip roaring from there uh was there for about eight years uh won some awards while i was there rookie of the year top producer top five percent every year that i was there and then uh, ran away to freedom, to independence. How long and, did that take uh, you to make that transition, though? Because from my understanding, there was a bit of a time block in between there. Yes, uh, it's uh, mainly called try not to get sued by the big blue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, whenever you're someone that uh, produces heavily, you know, and also has a good relationship with the clients. Uh, since I was someone that always used my cell phone number uh, to end up getting some things lined out. Uh, it makes it to where people keep calling me. And uh, I didn't want to have the big issue of writing someone I shouldn't, putting someone in a place that I shouldn't, or getting in a weird situation where I have to restart the brokerage because I'm getting sued. 
Sure. Again. <laughs> sure. I always wonder when people go independent, because typically when me and Brian see people go independent, it's usually pretty quick, right? They, you know, they get their contract terminated with whatever carrier they're with. And usually within a month or two, they're up and running at their next independent office or their new independent office rather. And I'm always curious about the transition. And I'm sure there's pluses and minuses for either side of the argument, but I'm always curious the benefits of taking a brief pause. And I know there's huge value in evaluating what you did. And when you're going from captive to independent pretty quickly, how much evaluation have you done? How much time have you spent really thinking through maybe the business you want to build? Because me and Brian's agencies are night and day different agencies. And, you know, I built a business one one way. He built a business a different way. My agency's pretty remote. I don't have really a local home base of clients. I'm not present in the community. I'm not involved in anything locally for the most part. I don't have an active presence and I can't go to my local coffee shop and order the beard and get my coffee drink that's custom for me like Brian can. And Brian is heavily involved in the community and his agency is heavily based upon where he runs his business and all of that. Right, Brian? Yeah. Well, and I think I think Charles's step back was kind of like that that brief like holding pattern that you were in right i think when you do that not shit i'd like to do that for like a few months and just kind of take a step back and focus just on the business like have you has this ever happened to either of you have you ever gone into like a different business maybe you're getting your oil change or chiropractor or a restaurant or something and you really start noticing like the scuffs on the wall the broken outlet cover, like all these little things that you're like, why have, you know, like, well, I wonder why they haven't fixed that yet. Right. And I like, I wonder if my clients come into my office or come into our space and like kind of do that to us. Like, are we just so like tunnel visioned working in it day after day after day, bullshit issue after bullshit issue nonstop <laughs> that we like lose sight of like the little things that can kind of make a difference. Like, was that a good thing for you? It was, it helped out so much. Uh, a lot of it was because you get used to running your agency, your setup, your situation, according to what you need to do to survive. Right. And it makes it, you kind of get used to it. Like I, and the example I like to use to kind of piggyback off what you said was, it's like you um, uh, living in a house for 10 years and then moving out of it and realizing like, man, this is, this is a really small spot. Like there's a, a bunch of things around, there's a bunch of gaps missing in, in the home that I once you know thought was amazing. Um, same situation goes with opening up your business or thinking about your business. So I took some time away, actually went with Paylocity. It's, a, uh, it's an HR tech-based company. And what they do is they partner with independent brokers on the commercial side. So I was able to attack insurance from a completely different division, another side. I'm like, okay, well, how, how do these people feel like they, they work with independent brokers? How is it that they, they create this relationship? What is it that they see in each other? And it really changed the way that I understood the, um, the, the partner relationship of, agent and other companies and the way that they built out a lot of their technology to benefit these brokers was uh still kind of going back to my bni days of like hey givers gain if you can be a benefit to uh your referral partners you can put yourself in a positive situation so to just break it on down 
taking a step back lets you realize all the flaws um, and allows you to attack it with a different mindset instead of just leaving where you were and then rebuilding what you had before with all the same problems, same situation, same everything that you were dealing with prior. Yeah. Yeah. I always wonder um, if I were to go now, one, it, a lot of people don't have that luxury, right? I mean, you have two choices. One, you could either, you know, quit your captive job and go get another job like Charles did in relatively the same industry without being an agent can do that. But not a lot of people have that financial freedom, right? To take a step back and truly sit and evaluate their business for six months before they launch. Not a lot of people can do that. And that's understandable, but not you know, everyone's married to a doctor. Not everybody's yeah, married to a doctor. I was going to ask if we were going to talk about Charles's wife and how he's right, no, no, not, that's not, that's not how everyone lives their life. <laughs> Apparently not. Not everybody's oh, married okay. to a doctor. I assumed as much. <laughs> it's probably a smart play on your part. Um, no, I mean, it's, I mean, when you're opening, I can imagine, cause I've never opened an independent agency. I've opened a captive agency. Obviously there's, you know, business structure, lead generation, all that kind of thing is still relatively the same captive and independent. You just have obviously more options and probably more business management and more things on your plate as an independent than as a captive agent. You've got a lot more things you're managing and juggling relationships with carriers, different guidelines, different carrier appetites and all those things, which creates more of a problem that you already had because I can't name a captive agent off the top of my head that knows their guidelines of their one carrier they offer, let alone now I'm going to take the problem I already have with not knowing my one carrier's appetites and multiply that by 20. You know, so I can imagine there's a significant amount more workload that goes into that. But from the business side, I do always think about agents when they jump into the independent world you obviously need to get going as fast as possible everybody wants to nobody really likes to take a, a pause because you're not making money but I do wonder the value of that and if it's more than money if you can afford to do it it seems like the smarter play because even when Charles started his brokerage um, he came across me and Brian's radar because um, he he opened his agency started using agency elephant which is what really brought him to the table of us knowing who Charles was. And when he opened his agency, he was doing about 200,000 in premium a month for the first two months or first few months rather. And then quickly realized the scalability problem of that, the hiring and training problem of that. And then the workload of that without correcting or addressing your business processes. And then you took a step back from writing business for a few Literally months. month one sold a bunch of, a bunch of insurance press paused immediately because i i wrote down everything that i wanted to do like process wise and uh the onboarding was going to be on me i at the time i used agency elephant to do my broadcast you know touch bases hey to get people uh, how to talk doing? to wanted to just make sure y'all knew i'm still in insurance just you know little touches just kind of little nuggets just to let people know i'm still kind of hearing about uh, and then using the broadcast platform, being able to touch bases with as many people as possible, doing 100 calls every 30 minutes, um, you know, 200 calls every hour, that allows me to hit a lot of people, a lot of prospective clients, and to kind of get that name out there. And that returned a lot of money to me. A lot of people called me back, a lot of people wanted to end up getting quotes, and a lot of people did, which is why, you know, we kicked it off and running. But as soon as we sat back and I kind of looked around, I was like, there's, if I keep going like this, I'm going to build the exact agency that I left. And that was terrifying. 
And, and at the time, you sure were doing that, it alone. Say that one more at time. At the time, you were doing it completely alone. Yeah, completely alone. Co- completely. The only thing I had was me, myself, and the pachyderm. <laughs> so just me and AE just rocking and rolling. And at what time did you feel it necessary to bring in a business partner? Because before you brought in an employee, correct me if I'm wrong, you brought in a business partner into the brokerage. Yeah, I I didn't. I don't try to bring anyone in. Things happen, right? And if good people are around me, then we make things roll, man. Uh, so uh, Spencer, my business partner, he has basically uh, been around me all the time since uh, since college days. You guys uh, played college to, football together, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, college football together, right? So we had college football together uh, back at Nickel State, and uh, we were in marketing and professional sales together. So we've done projects together. We've been around each other. And he went directly into oil and gas, uh, you know, and kind of branched himself out in that way. And I'd been trying for a while to get him into insurance, and he just flat out was, no. no oil and gas money is pretty it. good. Yeah. Oil and gas is pretty pretty good down here. Pretty decent area to be in uh, down in Houston, right? So he was able to build that relationship, kind of set that up. And uh, his wife is a very good uh, realtor, um, sold, bought, helped with a bunch of houses that I purchased. And uh, she has been in real estate for some time, decided that uh, they talked about it. They felt like the yo-yo effect of being in oil and gas, it going up, going down, and then cutting you know, pay. It's just not a way you want to live your life. So uh, brought him on because I trust him on, like, to, to the moon and back. What do you think he brought to the table that you were missing or lacking to seek out a partner in the business? Because one of the things me and Brian know being business partners as well in Agency Elephant is there's a lot of things that Brian does really, really well that I don't do well. And there's a lot of things that I do really well that Brian doesn't do well. What would you say some of the things that Spencer complimented your vision that you had with the McDade Brokerage Group? What do you think what are those things he brought to the table that you felt this is invaluable to me outside of trust, outside of relationship, outside of all of those things? What would you say he brought to the table that you were lacking on that you felt I need this in my agency? Well, to, to not, I don't want to glance over the trust piece mostly because like it's kind of the biggest part of any relationship. Like if you don't trust your wife, then uh, you're not married, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's true. So it's one of those spots where the fact that me and him can look at a problem and I can know that whatever he says is what he absolutely believes with no ill intent in his heart whatsoever. That in itself is the most valuable thing you can have. Absolutely honest and blunt feedback that you can take and not have to worm it through. Well, what's the reason why this person was saying it this way? Because sure. that slows down everything. So if I want to start with the number one apex thing, that's my piece. The fact that I can absolutely know where he's coming from and know how to disseminate that info. Number two, it's when it comes to building out our uh, commercial division, especially in Houston, having someone that is in oil and gas and has oil and gas connections, that's going to be massive, right? On top of him being one of the fastest and smartest people I have ever seen pick up insurance and then just immediately start going into commercial. That is that is a different beast entirely. Yeah, and I the still tenacity that he's able to push forward with that is just absolutely crazy to me. Yeah, I so still if we don't had even. to say and break it down into the easiest terms, 
trust is always going to be the number one thing, being able to understand that the conversations y'all are having are specifically to benefit the business. The second part is one of the smartest guys whenever it comes to just picking up new stuff and running with it. And then uh, his experience in oil and gas is massive in trying to get into commercial out here. And then lastly, dude can sell, man. Like he is, he, me and him went to school for marketing professional sales and he is that jack of, I can talk to anybody and build trust quickly people, right? Interesting. And that's massive in any relationship. And at the beginning of when you're starting up an independent brokerage, isn't the goal to build the brand? Because the brand in a, you know, in a captive agency, it's already built for you. You already have a mascot. We already have a guy, right? Um, when you're doing uh, brokerage world, well, like you're either picking up the realms of being the mascot or hiring someone else to do it. And when you couple the fact that we're the best marketing people we could imagine, we just teamed it up and kept it rolling. Sure. You usually don't find many oil field roughnecks that are good salesmen. Oh, no, not roughneck. I went, he's behind a desk selling. Oh, he was selling. Oh, oh, no, okay. he, he's out here selling parts, oil, like, you know, uh, clamps, pumps, getting things done, stuff not going certain places. Like, no, he, he, is, he is selling an oil and he's smacking a golf ball around. Yeah, I mean, so having, that, that's a, a major difference in what I can do since uh, when I say the range, I don't mean golf. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. Brian exactly. doesn't mean golf either. <laughs> I mean golf. But, you know, honestly, the commercial aspect is something that I don't really even dabble in that much as well. Having somebody invaluable in the commercial pieces is huge. Um, and let's talk about your first year because it was definitely interesting um, and it's a big testament for a lot of people because one, Charles McDade is obviously smart. He obviously has started a very successful agency. He's obviously done it well over the last year. But on the same token, Charles is also a normal person, a normal a normal guy, just as much normal as anybody else and any other agent. And one of the things that he did very well was um, with his reviews. He was able to get to over 100 Google reviews in less than a year, which is a huge testament to agents that are even 10 years in the business that don't have 100 reviews. One, it doesn't happen by accident. Two, it came with specific plan and action taking on Charles's part to get to that point. You don't just get 100 reviews because you're a really good agent. There's a ton of really good insurance agents out there. They don't have 100 Google reviews. And the reason why is because they didn't have a plan of action to get there. And so give us a little bit of a sneak peek behind um, your plan of action to get to, and you had a goal of getting to 100 Google reviews and you have a bigger goal now but explain your reasoning behind that goal of getting to the 100 reviews, how you got there, what your plan of action was, and how much work went into that. Because this was a process all in, in and of itself. It was a process to get there. Yeah, I, I mean, to, to say, look, there's certain things that you could and couldn't do in 2020, right? And instead of whine and scream that I couldn't go out and meet my, my realtor partners like I wanted to, it's the benefit and the terrifying piece of being in what I like to call a small business, a canoe, right? I can, you can change direction very, very quickly, right? You can make uh, turnkey decisions to make sure that things are done, but you're never in a spot where you're, you know, kind of piloting a, a ginormous, you know, Titanic-like vehicle where it takes 45 miles for you to turn around. 
So in the event of, hey, things are going more digital, all right, well, I can tip of the hat and flow directly and hard in the direction of digital. And a big piece of that is having the conversation of how many Google reviews are done and how much business was getting flowed through the Google review setup. So once that was defined, which was in the first uh, couple of months of, uh, of kind of getting into the, um, the, uh, the 2020 realm of COVID and God you know, knows foolery. Well, we decided, all right, well, hey, we're gonna have to start focusing on it. We're gonna have to start getting there, right? And uh, a big piece of the discussion was at this point in time, we decided to start working on automating the back end of our convo, like the onboarding section. And I believe by this time, y'all had already had built for you made. And we were just kind of plugging and playing and kind of tweaking with words a little bit around what, how I wanted it to sound. So to, to be specific with it, sometimes your greatest kind of um, advancements come out of necessity. And it's like, if we're not able to get in front of people, shake hands, well, I need to be able to digitally shake hands with as many people as possible. And Google facilitated that for us. So we looked at that. We looked at Facebook. We looked at Instagram. And we said, we need to be as visible as we can possibly be on these platforms. And we need to do everything possible to get there. And then it started the backward staging process, which I love this from Spencer. He said, you know what, Chuck, the more I look at insurance, the more I understand what's going on over here, it's it's quite evident that their goal is to be funny. Like their goal is to be memorable. Their goal is to be funny. But the thing is, is that they're never going to be as funny. They're never going to be as fast. And they're never going to be as specific as we can be as individuals. So we need to take what it is that they do for a billion, $2 billion in advertising revenue a year and do that massively faster and better because we can move so quickly. Okay. So because of that, that's when we started flowing into, we got to do Google reviews. We got to start uh, every single time someone gets a quote, has an interaction positive with us. We need to make sure we end up sending that out by using a template, or we need to make sure every single person that we talk to as far as for getting a quote and then buying a policy from us actively puts themselves into a spot where um, they, they, they have the expectations set early to actually fill out the Google review. Like one of my favorite is uh, not automation, just a talk track of expectation is, hey, uh, my goal is always is a five, you know, five star experience. If I should fall short at all, stop me that way, because I, I want to make sure that whatever happened, that that does not happen again. And we can put ourselves in the right spot. Is that fair? And if you ask someone if it's fair, they will always say yes. It's a nice little thing to do. Try it out. So by the end of the conversation, they, I'm like, well, hey, you haven't stopped me. Nothing's been weird. It's like, no. So I'm assuming so far it's been a five-star experience. Absolutely. All right, perfect. And then that's when our automation kicks in. We do a verbal kind of setup first and then let the automation go. We're on day you know, three and five, three or five or so. Uh, they end up getting the Google reviews to get that pushed out. And by tweaking the wording, we were able to get to the 100 because it was as simple as just asking and setting an expectation. So I want to say it was a lot more than that. Were you asking for reviews even for people that you just quoted and didn't even sell? Uh, if they had a good experience or something happened, yeah, they, that could that, it could definitely occur. Um, I have a situation right now where a lady will probably give me a Google review because um, uh, 
her the date of birth of her husband and herself are wrong on a policy as well as their name like her, her husband's name is incorrect uh the vehicles one of them was overridden to have a a, a two-year uh younger uh, sorry two-year older vehicle so it's like a 2016 instead of a 2018 like it's supposed to be so like she's not even technically covered like i'm like ma'am I don't know who these people are, but they're not you and you're not covered. And she's like, oh my God, I had no idea that this was even like that. And I was like, well, hey, there's not a lot I can do with you because I'm getting all the real information. I'm not quoting whoever that person is or whatever car that is. And by the end of it, she's like, I've never had someone look out for me this kind of way. And I was like, well, hey, even though I can't help you right now because I don't even have the right info, hey, you know, if you want to fill this situation out, if you want to talk about your experiences, you can. But any positive feeling that someone can have can drive a benefit in any situation. You know, that's a really interesting point because with my lender referral partners, one of the things I do, we have a fire fire insurance problem in California. Getting fire insurance here is a, kind of a mess if you're anywhere near the foothills in anywhere in California. And part of my relationship with my referral partners is I tell the clients that come to me like, hey, we're going to go over this. I'm going to reach out to a few people that I trust that also have markets that I don't have, and we're going to find the best solution for you. And even if the best solution isn't with me, that's okay. Like we're going to find something that works best for you. So I have multiple clients, not even clients that were mine, multiple referrals that I have handed off to people that I knew would handle the rate better, that would have a better package for them, that I knew would be an easier solution for their close of escrow than having to deal with the mess of fire insurance out here. And I've handed them off to people and they've had incredible experiences with me and thanked you thanked me very much for their experience. And I dropped the ball because I should have asked for a review of like, Hey, this is the review is like, Hey, this is a trustworthy person. He told me it didn't make sense to work with him. And he gave me to somebody that it did. That was a missed opportunity for me and something I never really thought about until you were talking previously. But one of the things Charles did, and I know from previous conversations is, and he said it before, but it needs to be said again, is he's not asking for a Google review just at the point of sale. He's not asking for a Google review just when he writes a new customer into his business. He asked for that Google review every time there's a good experience. And if that person has already left a Google review and he know, like when that conversation comes up, like had they had a, a billing issue or a service or like a service request issue or an underwriting issue or whatever, a claim issue popped up and he handled it really well, he asks for another review. And if that person has left a review, obviously, you know, they may not be able to leave it in their own name. Maybe their spouse can leave one or, or vice versa, depending upon the situation. But Every positive experience gets followed up with an ask for that review prior to the automation going out. You know, prior to you just blindly like, awesome, so glad you had a great experience, great, have a great afternoon, and then you just send them a text message for a review later, you're setting the expectation of, can you leave me a Google review? Uh, and I want to rewind because it's actually something that Brian used to say. He was like, hey, uh, he's like, anytime you're doing your, your, your onboarding, you let them know they're getting a, a, a text messages from my office. Like, hey, save the number. It's how we communicate with people. Am I right, Brian? Like something you, you said at the very beginning of whenever I, I kind of came into AE or like, let them know they're getting this text. Let them know they're getting it. Because again, it's a way of setting the expectation of well, we like, you're it, going to get communicated roadmap. with. Roadmapping is what yeah. I call it. You know, like, here's what you can expect from us over the next week. Um one thing too that kind of stuck out to me was 
you didn't just ask for a day or a week or a month. You continually asked. You probably sent that to people that never fulfilled that Google review. Am I right? Correct. And that didn't deter you in saying, well, shit, this doesn't work. You kept asking. And that's something that Matt and I are really trying to, to show people is it's uncomfortable to automate some things, right? To relinquish some control, but at the same time, you're gaining 100% consistency with every single, every single transaction. Situation A, this follow-up always happens, no matter what, with automation. And the customer doesn't know it's automated because when they reply, you can reply also. And now it's a one-off. Now you're having a back and forth convo. But we see so many agents that are like, oh, I did this for a week or a couple of weeks and you know, I want to cancel. And you're like, bro, if you're going to really be serious about this, like you've got to give it at least, like Matt said today on one of our calls, you got to give it six months of building and implementing and six months of testing, tweaking and nailing down your processes. You don't get a gym membership for two weeks and look in the mirror and go, yep, still fat. This doesn't work. Like, no, it's not how this shit works, man. It's, it's, it's constant repetitive behavior, creating a track record of success. That's what automation is. And it's and saying, if, it's saying, you know what? I don't like the way this worked for the last three months. I'm going to tweak it and I'm going to do it this way for the next three months. And I'm going to see if it yields a better result. So the best example I can give towards specifically what you're talking through as far as like road mapping and setting up is I'll take a piece of what Matt has and then pay a piece of what you had. We're in the service industry right? Our goal is to serve, be there uh, for people. But when it comes to the product that we actually sell, the product is a promise, right? Uh, but it's nothing that anyone leaves here holding, right? right. It's not going to be a baseball card. It's not going to be, you know, Jordan's like we were talking about prior. It's not going to be a golf club or, you know, in Matt Hahn's case, it's like the 17th child. Uh, but <laughs> in any one of those particular if categories. If anyone's giving kids out, I'm giving kids out with ID fair cards. Fair, fair enough, fair enough. Hey, hey, come by Matt Hahn's office. He's giving them out by the dozens. <laughs> um, <laughs> old fertile so, Fred over there. Old not anymore, Fred. not yeah. anymore. So, but because of, of, of it being a service industry, number one, it does help the fact that that is why they're doing business with you. So if someone says they didn't do business with you, but you gave them good information, well, isn't that the difference between one agent and another agent anyway, as they trust level the relationship? And very rarely is it like, oh, you have one magical product that no one else has that is super reliable to pay out in claims. I'm sorry, but if there's only one agency in all of Texas that is basically selling this one product, that product doesn't have a lot of people behind it, right? It doesn't have a lot of money. So in this situation, for what we're talking through, the difference between going to a, um, uh, going to McDonald's or going to a, uh, like a good, good steak restaurant, right? Like you go to McDonald's, you know what the food's going to taste like, right? But you can look up Google reviews and pictures of what is so good about the steak restaurant. Right now, uh, the best example when it comes to food is the reason why people pick McDonald's or pick Chick-fil-A over McDonald's. It's all chicken. It's all bread. Right. Um, yes, it tastes differently. But a lot of it is just because of the, the atmosphere, the people and the way that business is done and automated differently 
roadmap differently at Chick-fil-A, right? You have people going up, you say, hey, thank you. It's like, oh, absolutely. They, they, they have a way that they speak to you every single time. And in understanding that from a marketing brain perspective, it's like that is what's beneficial about these large businesses. And they found a way to automate the social interaction. And that's what I saw in Agency Elephant, being able to create a a brand that not only I can represent, but each person that comes through my door can represent consistently throughout the entire process and doing so with the utmost benefit towards the client. They're getting the same relationship or getting the same thank you. They're getting the same follow-up that their friends and family came to expect. So that way they don't feel like, oh, I, I handed it over to this person. They dropped the ball. No, anyone you deal with in my agency has this way of doing business and it's benefited them accordingly. And that's why you took a step back in your agency after you started to write a lot of a lot of premium because you're saying, okay, great, I know that I'm going to scale, I know that I'm going to hire, and I know it's going to get me into a, a bit of hot water in a situation I was already involved in, I know what that looks like, is having a system or a tool or some type of platform, and it can be whatever platform you're using, me and Brian say this all the time, the best platform that you can have in your agency is one you actually use. And having a platform that allows you to create processes so that when you're hiring and onboarding people, it takes a lot of the training and a lot of the micromanaging off of your plate because you know that, hey, this quote follow-up process that we've been doing for the last eight months has yielded a close ratio or a at least a conversation ratio in you know upwards of 70%. We're having, out of the quotes we're sending out, we're having conversations with those quotes over 70%. Our close ratio has always stayed the same, but we're closing more because we have more conversations because our quote follow-up's good. Now I can throw any monkey into the picture to quote policies and send them out and we're still going to have the same response rate because it follows the right process. And so it creates your onboarding and your hiring to be significantly less work and also make sure that your branding is handled correctly. Because if you have a staff member come in and they start treating accounts incorrectly and start not following up the way that you determine is an acceptable way for your employee to follow up. Well, now that affects your branding with that customer's experience and their referral to another person. Or yeah, I called Charles's office and I never heard from him for two weeks and they dropped the ball. Well, that affects branding. That affects public image. That affects your agency's image. Affects reviews. It affects all of that. Um, I'm just thankful that Charles kind of called us the Chick-fil-A of automation. Like, yeah, Jesus yeah. Chicken of Automation. Yeah, we are hey. the Jesus Chicken, man. That's what we should yes. change the name to. We should change AG- Agency Elephant to Jesus Chicken. JC. Jesus JC, Chicken. Baby. <laughs> I love I love Chick-fil-A. Yeah, I me too. Love Chick-fil-A it. is absolutely fantastic. But I mean, really think about it though. When it comes to what it is that y'all offer, it is, hey, y'all haven't, and then you you say this all the time, uh, like you know, Matt or or Brian, if y'all do not have a specific standard operating procedure look some of that procedure has been built out by matt his blood his sweat his tears a lot of right and uh massive amounts of you know children running around him to get this 
this product rolling the way it needs to go. I had to get um, him out. I was crying too much. I had to get it. I had to long, get it out. Long, lonely nights by Matt. Long, long lonely, lonely nights. nights by yourself. <laughs> but let's go over standard operating procedures because not a lot of agents have any standard operating procedures. Not no, a lot or of they do, but they implement them bef- like when it's way too late. Or they don't even know they're implementing a standard operating procedure. <clears throat> right. You know, it, it, it's pretty simple. A standard operating procedure or a process, I think you can use both of those terms in in the same way. A process or a standard operating procedure means that when something happens, let's call it when a quote comes in, it could be a late pay, it could be a renewal, it could be a missing document, it could be anything. When something comes in, I have a structured, thought out, put on paper action plan for when that comes in. Whatever that thing that comes in, I have an action plan with steps. Step one, you do A, B, and C. Step two, you do D, E, F. Step three, you do G, H, I. You have these different steps in a standard operating procedure or a process is basic in and of itself, even though it's hard for people to wrap their head around and do. It's basically just when A happens, these steps have to happen in order every time, the same way, consistently, regardless of what employee is handling it or who's addressing the account, and if there is a failure in that process or that standard operating procedure, that's where the ball gets dropped and you have bad service customer experience. You know what that reminds me of so heavily? It's it's like the first time you go over to either your wife's house or you go over to, uh, or your wife comes over to your like grandmother's house, right? And then they have all the ingredients sitting there. And they're like, hey, yeah, go make some of the casserole, right? Go make some of this. Go, go, make a, go make an apple pie. And then it comes back, and it's never the way that grandma or grandpa does it, and everyone's pissed. It's like, well, because there was no standard operating procedure to begin with. Grandma didn't write right? the recipe It's down. like you, you can't expect for someone that comes into your agency, fresh and brand new, with no other experience whatsoever, to come into your kitchen and to generate a particular product in the way that your grandma or you or even worse. I don't know if I agree with that though, man. I think grandmas were built different. Or like, even I mean, worse. I'm sure well they had measuring cups on their fingers. My grandma, <clears throat> my mama was from Georgia. And that woman could whip up chicken and dumplings, uh pecan pie, not pecan, pecan pie, sweet tea, like all of these really fried chicken, like all these really great southern meals. I never once remember her looking at a recipe. She just no, but it. but the standard opera, it's like agents, right? A lot of these older agents that we have, none of it's up, none of it's written down. It's all it's, it's all like the here. operating procedures yeah. all right here. Yeah. So so that that's why the comparison makes so much sense. From a we didn't actually write down any of our procedures. We just know that that's the next step. Or here's versus the realizing problem. that when we bring new people into our organization. If we don't have, we can't be mad at, you know, whoever the, uh, whether it's you making something at your wife's house or your wife making something at your family's house, you can't be mad at them for not knowing how this is supposed to taste or how this relationship is supposed to flow from an automation standpoint. If there was no other way that they knew how to build it in the first place, it's like, you're supposed to read my mind. Come on, Brian, you know, I just hired you. You're supposed to read my mind. How many many agency producers do you think fail because of really crappy agency owners that are just like, just listen to how I do it and do it that way. Good luck. 
Yeah, I think I think you have a bigger problem too at play. You have a bigger problem of let's say their standard operating procedures they have in their head or their processes, they came from a separate agency. The way that they did it at that separate agency was right and correct at that separate agency, but that is not how you do it at your agency. Yeah, now habits. you've got a problem of somebody coming in, not know they they know how to make an apple pie, but they're making it back asswards in the way you need it done to represent your business. It's now you've got to course correct what they think the operating procedures are. So you've got a, another problem if you don't have processes in place for your people that are coming into your agency. One, if they come with a blank slate of no processes, good. That's easier to fix. If they come into your agency and you don't have processes and they don't know what to do, that's easier to address and fix. But if they come into your agency and you don't have hard processes and they bring their own processes from their previous agency, now you've got a bigger problem, in my opinion. So, so imagine it. They, they talk about it uh, all the time for, uh, for like coaches, right? If you have a kid that um, that swings his bat a certain type of way, right, and he's been doing it and doing it well, right, for for years, but it's like, hey, you know, you could be a little bit more pro ready if you changed it, right? When that kid feels like they gotta hit the ball, they're reverting back to what they did before, yeah, right. And especially if you're someone that's sitting over here saying, like, look your commission only or your your heavily commission and they're running your new system and they're not seeing it work well how many weeks are you really going to give that or to, to your the point, system works it just takes too much time to learn it and they're not able to get out the 15 quotes that day they're only getting out nine yeah and, and not realizing that because of automation because of the new setup they're closing eight out of nine Versus they ran through 15 at the old place and they would still only close four. So it's like, no, it, it does feel like you're working and you're getting less done, but more quotes and more policies come out of it. So you have to see it through. So the conversation is, is that if you're in a spot where someone's betting their livelihood on what they can and can't produce as agents, right? And you have your standard operating procedure and it's difficult, whatever that may be. Don't be surprised if they start swinging the bat like they used to to try to get these uh, these you know these hits these home runs because that's who they've always bet on. They need to produce. Like the, the, it doesn't the old place I was at. They weren't. They were never that good at doing X, Y, Y, and Z. Which is a lot of the reason why a lot uh, agents, especially like agency owners, they let their top producers get away with bloody murder because they can't replace them because they don't know what they do anyway. Here's what baffles me, and me and Brian talk to a lot of agents. We talk to a lot of insurance agents. So what baffles me is when we come across an agency, and it happens more often than not, which in my opinion is really, really interesting, and it's probably what Charles is talking about is they're too scared to make any changes because they need to write the premium, is we come across agencies where they have, let's call it five staff members. All five staff members are all using whatever platforms they determine that they want to use. And they all are using their processes that they determine they want to have. They are all using their own CRMs. They are all using their own communication tools. They're all using their own quote follow-up systems. They're all using their own things. And the pushback we get is our agents that like the agency owners we're talking to is they're telling us, well, they all use their own thing and they're not going to want to switch. And it's very interesting to me. Um, from an agency management perspective is 
One, you should take your team's advice because they are valuable. You should come to them and ask for advice. You should brainstorm things. You should roundtable things. But there's also things in an agency that are, this is what we are using, period. This is how we are doing it, period. I took all of your guys' input. I took all of your guys' notes. I listened to you all, you guys, and I'm taking bits and pieces from what you guys are all doing. But this is our system and process and tool we're using, period. Like it always interests me to find agents that are letting their insurance agencies be ran by their employees and staff. And they should in some frame of mind and in some world, the employees of the agency, the staff of the agency should have a sense of ownership in the agency. They should have a sense of, you know, responsibility. They should have all these things that bring value to them. People operate in a different value spectrum as well. Some people find value in getting trips, in money, in getting time off, in getting whatever. Some people have different things that they get rewards from that are different than other people. But at the end of the day, it always interests me when I see an agency that is ran by the office staff and will, like when we were doing white glove calls with Agency Elfin a long time ago, there's this one agency that I got a lot of flack from some of the some of the staff members in there and it was interesting, interesting to me as to why it looked like this staff member was running the agency, as why they were making the decisions for the agency. And it, it's always interesting to me when I stumble across agencies like that. And I wonder if it's because of, A, a fear. They don't want to lose the staff because they're producing. Uh, I don't know. what It's probably different for every agency. But it's in, that philosophy is interesting to me because you, you kind of have to play a very unique line of giving control to the employee, to the staff and the employees and giving them responsibilities, but also those responsibilities and control and the direction that they see going have to fall in line with what you as the agency owner see as the direction of the company. I, I think to your to kind of two pieces of that. I don't really know if 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 offices aren't ran a lot of the time, depending upon how old the agent is or what the situation of the agency is, if they aren't absolutely ran by the staff, right? That the agent is, I mean, I go into a lot of agencies where I never see whoever actually owns the place, right? So it, it's really not owned by them and they don't do anything on the day-to-day and they don't understand how it flows, Right. So it's kind of like I would equate it to you owning a restaurant and none of the recipes are your own, but it produces. But the, the chefs really got like the, the producers you have, the, 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 uh, the staff that you have runs it like a top or at least what you feel like a top is. And you're just like, OK, well, then I just need to see myself out. Right. Because obviously whatever is being done is working. We're doing well for whatever we think well is right without diving into the numbers. And I think they get satisfied with that and they just kind of turn a blind eye versus um, every other franchise or every other industry has checkpoints with their, um, with their staff, with their franchise, with their franchise. Yeah. They'll have like a server manager, a kitchen manager, a, you'd have someone from the outside big boy office come in and say, is your, is your desk set up the way that it's supposed to be is your is uh, because the McDonald's is set up and no matter from Tokyo to California to New York, 
if you go into a McDonald's, it looks the exact same, right? Yeah, they spend hundreds and they make of sure that sure every that single place like. is set up that way. Absolutely. Yeah. Because that's what they found out works, right? Versus it's so funny that in the service industry of you're holding, you know, in y'all's case, farmers or in someone else's case, State Farm or in someone else's case, Liberty, you hold this brand behind you, but they have no say on what you do to your desk because they don't know what it is anyway, right? right? So I just find it funny that um, if, if big box stores don't have a way of being able to absolutely training culture into their brand um, because they just have too many people do too many different ways of being able to have it done. But it's all because there's manpower in requiring it to be done if you do not use automation. You know so what it's this like you're able of? to Do you know what me. this reminds me of? Tell me. Have you ever seen the show Bar Rescue? Yes. Where they like go into like half-assed failing bars slash restaurants and that guy and there's that like, girl on the bar top just getting just doing <laughs> body shots on the bar and the and the guys come in they're like what the hell is going on in here and they just like tear the place apart like cut everyone down and then be like listen here's the way it's gonna work here's this system and this process and this recipe and that would be such a cool show to watch for insurance agencies like oh, we, it would be dude, first off, there would there would be body shots. Yes. Dude. There would there'd be yeah. some offices you go to where there there is a body shot. There, there's 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 body shots ha- happening in the kitchen area. Yes. We could send McDade in with a film crew and McDade just destroys people and cuts them down and then builds their processes up for them. That'd be a hell of a show. Yeah, I think uh, I think insurance agencies' biggest problem, well, this is what we find all the time. Insurance agents are like, my biggest problem is leads. I'm not getting enough leads. Well, if you were to satisfy that problem and give them enough leads, well, you find out, well, their leads aren't the problem, right? Like, insurance agents always think they have a problem, and that problem usually actually isn't the problem in their agency. And I want to ask Charles a couple questions because I think it will be beneficial to a lot of our our agents. Um, it's a term that we stumbled across about, I don't know, eight months ago. We just, we've just we talked about it before, but we've never used this term. Um, and it came across our desk about eight months ago. And we're like, oh, yeah, obviously that's what the term is. We talk about it a little bit differently. But explain your agency's tech stack, if you will. The things in your agencies, the tools that you use to operate an efficient and effective business, because in a world where all of our, I don't care if you're independent, I don't care if you're captive, every single company has inefficiencies and it's getting worse in their service, their hold time's worse, getting problems resolved takes longer, and every single company across the board, doesn't matter if you're independent or captive, every company is going through this currently. What things have you implemented or brought into your agency, purchased tools? What what things in your agency do you use to Daily. help run a more efficient and effective agency? The tools that you have purchased and set up. So the f- biggest bang for my buck has been Agency Elephant. That will always and forever be my number one conversation. It's how all of my clients get communicated with. And the key of marketing is to be able to communicate effectively with a large number of people. That is the definition of what y'all do for AE. An agency elephant handles your phones. It handles your texting. It handles automation. Every piece of communication, automation, onboarding, 
following up with quotes, my people only have to quote and sell business. For the That's record, it. for the record though, were you paid to say that just now? No, absolutely okay. not. Okay. It's it's the only way that I start. It's how I started getting everything ready in May and hitting the ground running in June and July was specifically based around my building with AE, having that situation line itself out, and then watching as the ringless voicemails, the text messages that I had going out get returned and people start slowly raising their hands for them to get themselves into a positive situation. So that's absolutely my first piece of my tech stack. And you can watch any video I have out there. It always comes up as my number one. And what other tools have you brought into your agency that has helped you after you got agency elf and set up, you were starting to, and I've, I've, we've talked about this a few times of some of the tools and systems you're using. What other things have you realized that you were ineffective or inefficient in that you've had to correct? Uh, Getting deck pages has had to have been, and it's really starting to get a, a bigger and a bigger piece because with the hard market being the way it is, a lot of agents to get policies down are removing coverages people think that they have. Okay. Right. So who are you using uh, for that? So I use uh, Canopy Connect okay. for me personally. I love their setup. I helped them out with some of their Zapier integrations, helped them out with... Uh, with a couple of things talking and for me, that's really beneficial because I'm able to get them to um, get my deck pages so I can see all the, the background details of my clients. And prior then, to bringing them on as clients, you're getting deck prior pages to bringing during them the on quote as process. This is, this is uh, no, no, this is before bringing them on as clients, right? Okay. So uh, whenever we're in the quoting process and as a independent, if your price is way off, that's a red flag. Something's wrong. Sure. Because I can't have 40 companies and we're all $2,000, $1,000 off. Something happened. So like, in, hey, your so process, send me your deck page. in your process, when you're quoting people, you give them some type of link or some type of something that allows you to get access to those deck pages. Explain that right. for our user or our audience. Okay. So uh, as we're going through the quoting process and we're talking through, hey, do you have water damage? All right. Hey, what kind of deductibles do you have? Do you know if it's 1%, 2%? Like what? Walk me through your coverages, right? And very often people stumble in understanding where their coverages are. So for me, something that's been beneficial is uh, sending over, like, you know what? Hey, I work on an insurance 365 days a year. When it comes to what you're doing, you're shopping, trying to make sure everything's right. Hey, just so I can make sure I'm doing right by you. Here's a link, click on it, sign into your old insurance, the username and password, and then it will send me securely just the deck pages so I can make sure everything lines itself out if you just don't have it handy in your email. Just Which in case. most people like, don't. Like, and uh, most people don't have it handy. Like they don't have their deck pages handy. They don't have, they didn't save it on their phone. It's not one of the things they keep with them, right? And because of that, it's helped us Look, I'm dealing with a guy with a with a uh, with a with a Maserati, thirty sixty twenty five. Nice. And, and and he's like, "Why is your nice. rate? Why why are you? You're only saving me fifteen dollars." I'm like, "Oh, because I'm I put you were state minimum, where I wouldn't even pay for the back left rear tire of your car, to now me trying to sell you a one hundred three hundred, and then you're wondering why my rates are off." 
Well, See, because I'm covering you way more for what you had prior. So it helps out in understanding because some people don't have an idea of what it is that's actually behind the scenes, which to talk about education is to say that there has to be a starting point of understanding. And if there's no starting point of understanding, AKA what they currently have, then what are you explaining to them? Correct. I always like to take people's liability limits and reverse engineer them so that I understand what their income is. And I know, like, for example, the guy with the Maserati, I would take his 30,000 limits of liability coverage. And I'd say that would be his per person liability limit. Obviously it's 30, 60, 25 is 30 per person, 60 mm-hmm. per accident, 25 for property damage. Insurance agents listening to this should know that. But I always like to take that liability limit and I make the assumptive of what they're making a year. So that I, I look at their limits. I'm like, great, 30,000 a year. I'm going to divide that by 10 years because that's your wage garnishment. I'm going to divide that by like for the 25 times it by 25% to get the wage garnishment on all that. And I'm going to come to their number. So I'm going to say, for example, with this person with the 30,000 limit, I'm going to say, great. So you're making, you know, 15 grand a year, right? Like whatever that number comes out to. And they're like, no, Charles, you freaking dumbass. I have a Maserati. I'm making 250,000 a year. Perfect. I assumed you weren't making that little, but this is what your liability limits tell me you're making. So we need to fix this because if somebody working part time at Starbucks hits you, they're making more than 15 grand a year and they're not going to be able to pay for this. So we need to fix this. Right. So I always like to reverse engineer it and make the assumptive of what they're making a year because I found in asking the questions for liability limits like, hey, what's your annual household income? They're a little bit hesitant to give it to you initially and then you've got to explain it but then when you tell them how much they're making they just flat out say no i'm not no i make this much like it's an ego thing and they just tell you and so i always like to reverse engineer that as like a little tip for the users on the call most You're such states, a jerk i know God, what a most jerk. states in honesty almost all states have a wage garnishment rule that is hey you can garnish somebody's wages for 25 percent of their income for up to 10 years so if you have liability limits of 100,000, you're basically saying, hey, you make 40 grand a year. It's simple math. You can reverse engineer the math to say this is what you're making. And they will quickly so correct What, what I love about that, or just in sales in general, right, is um, this, they call it the spin method. So it's situation, problem, implication, like what happens if, and then needs payoff, right? Uh, the funniest thing about it is that it works well with your um, with your intelligent, forward thinking, trying to problem solve clientele. Um, sometimes, depending upon where you're located, man, they don't uh, they don't know anything, and they think that what they have is what they're supposed to have. So, or they didn't they they thought I, I had someone have a. Um, I had someone have a, I think it was a $29,000 deductible for their home, right? Like it was, it was 290,000. It was a 10% deductible across the board. And she was like, no, I thought it was a 10% discount. Yeah. (laughs) She's like, it's not a 10% discount on my roof. And I was like, no, ma'am. It's well, a you could deductible. have a 10% discount. I don't know. But what I'm looking at here is. That <laughs> and and then I was like, ma'am, so so do you have like, you know, so my question is, would you claim something for $30,000? Yeah. 
And she was like, yes, absolutely. I was like, would that hurt? Would that hurt your family? Yes. All right. Would you claim something if they only paid you a thousand dollars? She's like, oh, well, no, like, because it's not worth it. I'm like, well, what I'm telling you is. doesn't make any sense to claim this right and she was flabbergasted because she thought it was a discount and had no clue so even there's there's a barrier of understanding that being able to just here's what you have here's what i have you i highlighted it so it's in color okay showing you that that these are the things i would change and why so question a 10 percent deductible that's not deducting 10% of my premium. That means, no. actually, oh, oh. Had no, yes. And then you have, you have the brain like, Oh my God. I had no idea. Yeah. Right. Uh, so to your point, and, and I, I, I think it's funny because um, you, for those that are, we attract those that are like us. And sometimes we have the blessed ability to be around those that, are, that we're like, uh, and being able to deal with very thoughtful individuals uh, is always something that feels really good. Like, and I'm sure Matt can attest to this or Brian can attest to this. If you're on a call and you're talking through this stuff and you can kind of, you can hear, even if it's through the phone, you can hear light bulbs go off. Sure. Right. And how good does that feel knowing that you've actually helped someone in this particular, I mean, it doesn't happen all the time, but it feels great when it does. Am I right? Yeah, I agree with you hundred percent. Yep. So what else are you using in your agency? What other tech stack items are you using besides Canopy, Agency Elephant? What else are you using that's invaluable? So I also use, um, uh, I use Zylo. Uh, it, it helps uh, throw things into my easy links. Sure. Uh, long story short, uh, look it up if you want to look it up. I've, I've talked about it before. I also end up using uh, Zapier or Zapier, however you want to have the conversation had. Uh, to make sure I get things that don't normally want to talk in my agency to talk in my agency. So for example, I have it set up to where as these deck pages come in, that all the information that I need gets sent to agency elephant. And then I can text them, Hey, we get all your info, which has been okay. super duper helpful. Just making sure people know that what they've done has been successfully pushed through. So the last two uh, the things, Zylo is a integration tool. It's all about integrating data into yes, easy links. It's just all about integrating and having as much of my agency talk to itself as possible because otherwise it, it looks like a sticky note bomb goes off in sure. everyone's office. Sure. And what's, what's maybe one of the last few that you use if you have any more? Um, the last one I would say that I would use um, you know what? I'm gonna go a different route. I use InShot for my marketing for like my, my, uh, me being able to make videos. Sure. Uh, and I know that may not be a part of the tech stack, but I think it's going to be more in that conversation because a lot of people are trying to figure out how to make videos, how to edit, how to grab things and move things. And that's, and, that uh, drives a significant amount of activity to your agency. So I would add that as a tech stack. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's night and day what you're able to do because a lot of, a lot of um, marketing now, a lot of the comedy of marketing is editing, right? Adding the right sound in a certain place or having a quick cutaway at the right time. A lot of that is where it comes from. So if you're someone that's really trying to elevate their online presence, 
um, being able to have a way of being able to uh, edit pictures quickly, add logos into pictures quickly, add um, watermarks into pictures quickly. InShot allows me to do that and it works really, really fast. So if you're independent and you're trying to, you're trying to open up your branding, visually, you're gonna have to figure out a way InShot or otherwise of being able to get that to, uh, to be consistent throughout your entire agency. I have two final questions. We can wrap this up. The, the first one being uh, agents that are listening, where can they find you on Instagram? What can they go and follow? What are your handles? So my handle, it, look, just Charles McDade. And I, it will not be hard. Just look for the guy that kind of looks like a drug dealer. I'm joking. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and no, uh, so I, I actually, I'll go back. I'll go back. So uh, basically my Instagram is McDade. M-C-D-A-D-E-5-2. Uh, so you can find me like that on Instagram. Then whenever it comes to uh, to Facebook, literally Charles McDade. And on TikTok, it's uh, McDade Insures Texas. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. And- Last question. Last question. How big of a nerd on a scale of 1 to 10 is Sean Michael Walker? Sean is... He nerd is or an, scumbag? I would say he's an 8 He'd be a seven to an eight for nerd, but it's always confusing because when I look at him, like if there were bells in my heart, they kind of they kind of jingle, right? He so does I feel give like, me like, that feeling like too. Looking him too long in the eyes gives me wings. I agree with you. He he somehow, even though he's a complete nutter scumbag, and I hope he <laughs> rots. I'm just kidding. Even somehow, he still makes me like him every time I talk to yeah. him. How, Somehow. how can you not with his he's fake so hair positive and he's so he's such he's a so good guy put together i he hate him but guy. he's such a good guy um he's, he's a very beautiful man like don't get me wrong man. i've always been into women but still always will he's be. a he's a very beautiful man he's a pretty man he's a pretty Look, man i i have is it the, always is it, is it the suit coat or is it the toupee no it's no, the listen, it's listen, the sweaty I, hands it, it is very similar to someone deciding that um, they wanted to make an insurance Kindle. <laughs> it's the, the insurance Kindle. <laughs> now, to wrap this up, to bring value to our users, to wrap this up so we don't end it on Shawn Michael Walker because he doesn't deserve that. No, to wrap it up. How many inbound calls would you say you get in a week from Ooh. your Google reviews? From Good all of the work you did reviews? for Google reviews, um, how many inbound calls are you getting a week? Easily, easily 15 to 20 each and every week. Okay. Um, even more than that, the um, referrals, being able to get referred to you, and the first thing they do is they put in your name on Google. They're like, all right, well, who, how good is this person, right? And the fact that almost everyone that gets my name and number does actually call me because they look us up and they're like, oh, well, you know, I got your number from John, but I wasn't really going to call. But then I saw like, you're actually reputable. So like, I decided to give you a ring because I think that that's something that goes um, on the wayside. It's like, yeah, we, we say that referrals matter to us, but we're not doing the things that we need to do to make sure that all the referrals decide to actually contact us. 
Sure. Now, just to make this easy for everybody, uh, 15 to 20 a week, average, let's say 17 and a half a week for 52 yeah. weeks a year. That's an extra 910 inbound phone calls a year that Charles is mm-hmm. getting from taking action for eight months on his Google reviews to get them to a point where now they're snowballing. The second thing Charles is doing really well to end the call is, which is a great tip for people, great, great tip for people, is part of his quote follow-up process sends them a link to a page that says, this is check out what people are saying about me. Check out what my clients have said about me. Check out what others have said about me. Part of his automation is showing his consumer that he's hoping to have purchase a policy with him what other people are saying about him. So he's not only letting Google do its job for him and host all these things and show all these things and letting people search, he's also showing them what Google is saying about them, which is a bigger deal. That's huge. Yeah, it takes action. It takes a couple things to do. It takes some work. But after eight months of work, if you would say, hey, Brian, after eight months of work, you're going to get 910 extra phone calls into your agency a year on average. Would that be something you would want to work for? Do you want my credit card number now? Exactly my point is when you reverse, when you look at the numbers and you say, is this worth my time to do? Think about the numbers, 910 average annual inbound calls just from Google reviews alone. One of probably the 15 marketing campaigns that Charles McDade is doing over there. We appreciate your time, Charles, very much. You're doing really good things over there and you are a huge resource for a lot of agents. Um, Reach out to Charles on Facebook. He's always more than open to talk to people. Um, hopefully your inbox gets flooded over that. Reach out to Sean Michael Walker. Tell him how much of a scumbag he is. And other than that, we hope you guys have a great afternoon. It's the Brian and Matt show. Matt's got a mullet. Brian's got a big ass beard. You can pull it. It's the Brian and Matt show. With all things insurance and random tomfoolery.